0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode three of the NQ podcast. I'm super excited for you all to listen to this conversation between myself and Jack Chen aka KBBQ. He got his start in esports and Dota 2 through work as a Chinese language interpreter at tournaments and sort of snowballed that into some work as an actual talent analyst on desks and as a kind of the inside scoop Chinese liaison with the Uh, Chinese teams for the Western audience and has done a lot of work in a variety of capacities in esports. Jack is now currently the manager and sort of uh, mental coach and general team dad for the North American squad Quincy Crew, a professional Dota 2 team that recently qualified for the International 10 and will be playing in Bucharest, Romania. And Our conversation really focused a lot on sort of what it is like to be part of a professional team in esports and specifically Dota 2. And one of the interesting things about Jack and his team, Quincy Crew, is that these guys have sort of a core group of players that have been together through several different iterations. And they have previously been part of professional orgs under contract, but currently they do not have a contract with a professional esports organization. And so they are probably going to end up being the only team at the International 10 without sort of official uh, sponsorship, although they probably will have some sponsorship deals for the Quincy Crew brand. And Jack is just incredibly insightful and well spoken and knowledgeable about all sorts of different parts of the esports industry. And so I think you guys will get a lot out of this conversation, whether you are just a fan of the game. Uh, or somebody who is looking to learn more about esports or potentially even try to enter the space. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Jack, a.k.a. KBBQ. All right, guys, really excited to bring you this conversation between myself and Jack KBBQ. You might know him as uh, been around the Dota scene for quite some time as I guess you kind of started off as like a uh, translator for the Chinese players at events and have transitioned into talent work as well as managing uh, the Quincy Crew team, which obviously recently won a berth at TI. Very exciting for you guys, I'm sure. Um, And basically, uh, we're going to have a conversation about sort of just like eSports, Dota, wherever it kind of leads uh, but Jack, thanks for joining me. How are you today? And I guess where are you? It kind of looks like you're in outer space, my friend.
1: Pretty good. Uh, I'm in a, a capsule uh, hotel in Kiev. Um, I mean, they you know they purposely kind of embrace this sort of marketing aspect of it being like a space capsule. So you know, got the it, it has those vibes. It got some lighting and that can, that I can change and uh, ventilation and stuff. So it's it's nice. Um, it's simple, but uh, you know, that's that's all I really need. I don't need a, an apartment or anything. I'm, I'm, you know, trying not to be home most of the time, I'm just exploring or whatever. And then also, I don't have the temptation to play Dota because I can't have a, a PC here. So it you know serves multiple functions.
0: Gotcha. So if, if you can't be grinding Dota, as as I know, you are a, a former huge grinder of the game. I think a lot of people in the scene have recognize that. Uh, what do you do with your, your spare time? Um, do you find yourself more productive and doing some like studying or learning about stuff or, or just kind of like exploring the city or what? Yeah, it's
1: um, initially it was more kind of walking around and exploring and Kiev is a beautiful city. There's so many the nice parks and squares and places where you can walk and it's it's uh it's not like too huge either so you can you know you can like walk across like half the city center in a fairly uh decent time um and i mean since then it's been a little bit less of that but it's it's good to as schopenhauer would say it's good to have this sort of uh, solitude where you are not you know just Around people or family or or friends or whatever, all the time, and you're kind of just thinking about, you know, like yourself, what you want to do, like the path that you've taken, all that, and then you have time a lot of time to just read and relax. At the same time, it's also very stimulating and interesting for me to learn language. Um, so you know, I'm not yet taking classes or anything which I'm considering, but I can learn bits and pieces i can handle myself now at a, at a restaurant um i just pick basically just pick a different restaurant every day go there and then just start my journey there um cool. so it's been it's been nice yeah it's a i highly recommend it's a great city and it's inexpensive as well so it's nice
0: awesome um so is the uh is the team there with you now or are they taking a little bit of a hiatus since there's no ti for a few months
1: um everyone's everyone went back home okay. um I mean, there was one or two players that was considering uh, staying with me as well, but um, ultimately decided not to. And then I originally I wanted to stay because, um, you know, it, it was, uh, TI was going to be in Stockholm and I didn't want to go through another set of kind of flights and jet lag adjustments for such a short time. Mm. Um, then obviously, you know, things got plans got changed and then I had a choice to go back or remain uh, here. Um, and I, you know, I decided it's, it's nice. Like, again, for the last 15 months, I um, haven't really had a choice because because of COVID, right? It's so like you just just down lockdown, like in home the whole time. So it's nice to just kind of be out somewhere completely different. And also, if I think back in the last three or four years, like I've either been at home or I've been at a Team House. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't really like had much time to sort of live on my own and just go explore like a brand new place. So there's a certain appeal to doing that.
0: Gotcha. Um, Yeah. You're, you're living that sort of like ashram or monastery life for a little bit, I guess, (laughs) kind of like getting
1: more more of a, more of a hostile. So like, so the, the stereotypical experience is the backpacking through Europe, which I've, which I haven't done. So this is, this is kind of my, uh, my starting version of that, I guess.
0: That's awesome. Um, so I, uh, I wanted to, before we hop into sort of like the, the deeper topics about management of, of teams and, and, you know, attending TI and that kind of stuff. I want to just kind of get a little bit more background on you. Like, how you had sort of a, an interesting path to getting into esports. Was that, I mean, for, for most people that are involved in esports, it just kind of happened over time, I suppose, by having a set of skills and just kind of like applying them and seizing opportunities. Um, but where, I guess, did your journey begin? How do you decide that you wanted to start sort of like work your way into the esports industry?
1: Um, so I, I kind of didn't, I mean, I always, I played Dota like a long time ago and then, uh, I think like 2006, 2005, a friend introduced me to it. I played it on and off. It was a great game. Um, there were times when I played it like a lot more, like I said, on and off and I, I, you know, paid some attention to like the scene and like it, it was cool, but it was never really something that I thought would be any sort of like, you know, career path or whatever. Like I, I, um, like it, it really was just on the fringes it was kind of like a passion side project initially like i did some writing i wrote some some articles um i wrote for actually eg way back in the day okay um, no, um so just stuff like that where i didn't really expect it to go anywhere and at the same time but at the same time it was like again it was like a passion project and i had a background in you know journalism um actually a master's degree so no way. I, I was like i was like this is cool. I about like you know i love love sports i followed sports and played some growing up so i can just kind of put these two together and write some stuff about this game so um but it wasn't something that i was in any way committed to or super hopeful of and then i mean i guess that all changed um in 2015 i think um i I was asked to go be a translator at uh, esl1 new york and uh through that process i met some of the people in the scene and uh was... I guess they liked. I guess they liked what I what I did. Uh, even though, I mean, <laughs> it's a long story. But my first time on stage was actually there's actually a kind of a disastrous moment there too. So uh, from there, one thing led to another, and uh, you know, other cool opportunities and and chances came, and uh, I just yeah, just tried to make make the most of them and follow the parts of it that I liked basically.
0: Cool. So even that first uh that first little opportunity at ESL like did you know somebody that worked at the event or like how did how did that even come to be because once once you're sort of like in the network you can kind of find opportunities through knowing people but
1: um i knew somebody who did like uh back end stuff for like it wasn't for esl but he just he just involved in like Mm esports and he i mean he basically told me hey you speak you speak chinese right and like you're you're big into like games and stuff um this event needs a He's a Chinese translator. Uh, wow. You know, okay. Wanna, wanna take it. So it was very fortuitous, and then you know there I met um, I think Hotbid and some other people, and then after that, Hotbid asked me to go with them to uh, actually shoot the Eternal Envy uh, uh, documentary piece for the upcoming major, um, and so like I was there to obviously to help like translate and stuff as well with his with Envy's parents. Okay. Um. And so yeah, that, like that. And after that, it was it was a Frankfurt uh, major, which was my which was my first major. And um, yeah, that's basically how how it happened. And you know, to be honest, like my, my Chinese was honestly not that great. Um, I, I had like some exposure to it when I was young, but uh, like it wasn't like I grew up in China or you know spent a lot of time speaking other than at home. So I did have to like study a lot and like learn a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, about the scene in terms and like learn from like other people like you know like Helen like Josh um like like some people have I had to learn and, and Chinese casters I had to learn a lot to to kind of get better at that because you know, like I said my first experience on stage I was interviewing aggressive and you can you can see a clip of this and um I was so sort of flummoxed and, and unclear with what I said that he didn't understand me at first even though I asked him a very simple question uh-huh. and then he says to the crowd he says basically like which is like what and then the crowd (laughs) was like laughing so to me i was like damn i i really i really botched it Uh all right but then but then i kind of just was like okay that's the worst thing that could happen you know like that wasn't so bad i'm still here let's just keep going uh so yeah that's kind of how it started and you know that's that's how it grew i guess
0: awesome okay so so from there you um I mean, obviously you are a, a very personable guy. And so once you're kind of like meeting people and getting more and more opportunities, uh, it makes a lot of sense that you would start to kind of like transition into this talent role. And, and you have a very unique niche of being able to kind of bring, and it's funny that you mentioned that you, your Chinese was not super good at the beginning and you had to kind of like do a lot of studying and, and learning from the Chinese personalities and, to to kind of like get the slang down i'm sure um different dota terms probably are, are way different and you kind of became almost known for that uh in the scene right bringing like the chinese memes and and sort of like the inside little jokes between the players and stuff like that um so what was that like of of becoming more of like an in person or more forward-facing person in in the scene like was that something that you look forward to or was that sort of a whole new set of challenges and, and maybe like nervous moments to, <laughs> to get there? It was, it was a whole new set of challenges.
1: Um, I never really had much experience as a public speaker. Mm. Like the last time, I mean, I, I wasn't speaking, I was just interpreting, but, I, but like the last time I, you know, had a microphone in front of a bunch of people was like probably when I was running for like class president in seventh <laughs> grade or something. Right. So sure. I'd never really like embraced that part. So it was, it was a challenge, obviously just being nervous. And then the fact that instead of kind of speaking freely, you have to like, you know, you have to hear what the person says, understand it and then present it in a, in a good way. Um, so it was, it was definitely a challenge because again, my, my Chinese, not that good. Um, it Definitely not on the level of Helen or Josh, um, my, my I guess predecessors and mentors in a way. Um, so it took, it did take a lot of work like I just had to look some things up I had to learn from them I had to just find whatever I could um you know and then I and then my sort of regular Chinese like conversational Chinese also had to catch up a bit which you know happened through interactions with more of the players and and stuff like that so it, it took a lot of work and there were a number of times where things like you know didn't go so well I remember at Frankfurt um uh, old chicken repeated some meme of like Chinese Dota is dead, but I thought he was speaking English because of the way he said it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I you know if I had recognized and known the meme like uh, immediately, like I would have known what it was. Um so it was clear that there are moments where you know stuff had to catch up and I still had to get better at it. But um I've always enjoyed language. Um I, I find a lot of the memes and stuff just fascinating because in, in Chinese they have these um basically sayings and phrases. They're called Tung they're basically ancient memes that go back thousands of years. Like, that's basically what they are. Um, okay. So language is, is very given to this sort of artful expression. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and uh, in addition to that, I I love, like, this sort of, like, fiend, fiend and fiendy stuff. So, you know, when it came to nicknames that people have for players or, you know, kind of maybe rumors or whatever, or, like... You know, you know, like on forums there's like different layers of fans, right? There's like mm. the, the kind of like very like broad, you know, like like fans come in when, when they're like happy but and then there's like there's like a there's like a, a subzone where people are like super savage and like you know what I mean? So like the, the the Chinese scene also has sort of different forums and layers like that and they come up with some really cool stuff. Mm. Um and there's such wordsmiths and there's so many of them. It it's it's great. So it 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 was really interesting to me to kind of get into that and learn what those things meant and find out all the nicknames. And it it was, it was, it was great. I loved it. Uh, during that stretch, it was, it was just very natural and very fun. Every time I learned something like, you know, I just couldn't wait to, to share it with with the world uh, at the appropriate time.
0: Mm -hmm. And so that culminated with you actually working as like a a member of the talent at TI, right? That was TI seven. Was it?
1: uh yeah the, i think the... so before then for for ti six i mean i was there as a translator so i actually at ti six i translated the uh the loser interviews with the chinese teams oh okay and uh, i think they ended up i think they ended up not airing them because like some were like pretty awkward or whatever mm-hmm. um so but that's the only on camera stuff that i did so um the other stuff i guess as a translator you're you know, obviously you're working with teams you're like you might be doing like subtitles and stuff like that you might be helping just to smooth things out with like different productions so you learn you get to you get exposed a bit to sort of the production process and you know the casters and stuff like that so it was a lot of stuff to learn and figure out for the first time it was cool um yeah you know, ti7 was the first time that i was really well i guess uh so at ti7 um uh, someone, someone at Valve. I, I don't, I don't, I don't name name people. Sure. Uh, you know, just a, uh, gave me a really unique opportunity um, to kind of just have this little corner where I talk about like Chinese stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it turned out pretty well because I guess people liked it. Um, you know, and I got to share some of those spicy uh, memes and stuff. But also,
0: um Yeah, one of those nice the, Chinese caster jackets too, right? Like they, they kind of like yeah. welcomed you into the fold a little bit.
1: So, so, so part of the reason I got that, I think, is because. There were some, some Chinese casters had visa issues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I actually ended up kind of being put on emergency duty as like the host of the group stage in Chinese. Oh, wow. Um, because my Chinese is, is not, you know, it's not good enough to be a caster. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, we're shorthanded. What can we do? And hey, maybe this guy can can go out there and, and you know, try to host the, the, the group stage panel or whatever. So it, that, that was, you know, initially pretty terrifying and you know i i, I did my best that's all i could say but it, but um yeah so i guess i guess that plus like the summits
2: um
1: mm. i want to thank obviously like both David gorman and parker and the bts uh family and crew for giving me some of those opportunities to go on the couch with the chinese players and then all that so um yeah those are probably the real the first real sort of talent opportunities and then uh, you know i was asked to panel at some other events and stuff like that so
0: Awesome. Well, I mean, that's kind of just like a a whirlwind journey, I guess, over the just like, like a two or three year period. Um, but that seems to be how a lot of the, the esports journeys work um, through through all those interactions with the teams. Is that kind of where your interest in starting to like work as more of like a team liaison or manager? Is that where that kind of came from? Or is that more of like you mentioned sports? Is that more of like a sporting background? As something that you're like, hey, I I bet I could probably bring some interesting um, things to esports and and team environment.
1: Look at you, man. You're figuring out the puzzle. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So the the team side was always something that was kind of both appealing and unknown to me. Um, So one, like, you know, there were times when, like, I tried to see, hey, how good of a Dota player can I be? I'm really competitive. I love this game. Obviously or near good enough. Um, but I was always curious, sort of, about the dynamics inside a team, like how they actually thought about the game, things they paid attention to. Um, and then again, from my own experiences growing up, like again, playing team sports, um, you know, like like competing on on some level, and some of them, and then just just always following sports and stuff. I was really interested in again, like the team side of it. And if you know, if there's some way that I could also help. In some ways either build or improve or um you know even even like find the right group of people like there's always something there where there's a calling of like not just the team side but like the ultimate accomplishment in this game is to win the ti right is to win it win a championship in any, in any game the highest level of competition so there is something about that that uh that called to me and that was missing from i guess from from the talent side um mm-hmm and so I wanted to be a part of that process. Uh, and you know, when, when that opportunity came, uh, from, from, uh, Jeremy Lin and, and, uh, and his, uh, his group that, that were you know, trying to do that, uh, I, you know, I was that, Hey, there's Jeremy Lin, one of my, you know,
2: yeah, let's
0: go I say,
1: <laughs> idols in some way. Yeah. And then, uh, here's, here's a chance to sort of be a part of like you know, working with, and in some ways like, uh, starting a team, like, yeah, that sounds. Sign me up. That sounds great. Um, so, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was not an easy decision. I feel like, you know, I feel like the the talent path was like just starting to kind of bear fruit and work out. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: at the end of the day, like you, you gotta follow the things that that uh, that call to you, right?
0: Hundred um, percent.
1: And and that's the 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 other part about that is, I think. The other side of the talent thing is it's not easy to, to talk about or share, but it's like you, it's hard to get like constant sort of feedback and improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to kind of like continue to like grow, I would say, or like really improve or climb once you've like sort of proven yourself, um, and, and then, like, there's always all this uncertainty, and there's a lot of politics, obviously, sometimes with like organizers and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and then, if you go to all the events, uh, like some of the casters do, you know, it, it can feel like the someone, a senior caster, described it to me as it's like the circus. It's like you're at a different uh, hotel, a different arena every two weeks, right? But you don't, you don't like necessarily get to go out and like sport. You don't get like time to yourself, really, even to like maybe even watch or play as much Dota as you'd like. You're kind of just, in this in this like autopilot mode
2: mm-hmm. um
1: so so there was a part of that where i just felt like i'd grown so much even getting to that point but i wasn't sure if i was going to continue to be growing that much in ways that i liked afterwards uh to, to keep doing that um
0: yeah that makes so much sense i mean it was, i mean, yeah, i, I have a choice done... of
1: like yeah right.
0: go ahead. <laughs> i was gonna say i haven't done like a ton of the the talent side stuff, but I have, you know, I've done a bunch of online stuff and I have been to a couple of of smaller lands. And, uh, I mean, just everything that you mentioned is, is really, it's really real. Like the, the politics side and and the side of just, people don't really realize from watching the outside. I think that the casting team and like the talent team, they really are in like a bubble. Of, of just like work there is nothing else like you you work a 12 hour day you're so exhausted your brain is just like completely fried you go to sleep you wake up you do it again and most of the time your flight comes in a few days before the event starts and leaves a few days after it starts and you're basically just like like you said it's almost like a circus you go you put on a show and then you leave and there's nothing else outside of that
1: yeah i mean there's 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 parts of it obviously that i enjoyed that i still miss a lot of you know like just being around some of those people is great. It's always mm-hmm. a fun time being around most of them. Um, but then there's also a, a sort of sense of fulfillment or calling, if you will, that, that I felt was kind of missing. And I had a choice. It was either try to grow by becoming more of a general sort of host because I, I enjoyed the few times I got to do that, even though it was in Chinese, um, or you know, or go to go to the team side. And again, the team side has always been this like this big unknown to me because mm-hmm. in the scene, at least, like casters and 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 don't really talk that much to, to teams to and players i mean players and teams don't really talk that much to casters generally speaking unless they're like former pros or something so it was, it was something that the veil was being lifted on that as well which was just very intriguing for me
0: totally yeah i got a chance to um to coach a, a eu stack or a couple different iterations of an eu stack uh over the last two dpcs um and qualifying for them and even that—that that was like the only real experience I've had with working with like pro or semi-pro players, and it really is an interesting environment and and just like completely different than uh, you might expect, and also fairly similar to some things that you might <laughs> expect out of out of pro Dota players. So I can totally understand that that drive to want to go do that, and of course competing. Did you have a favorite sport growing up? What was your your sport of choice? Um. um. So it was
1: overwhelmingly basketball. Okay. Um, I mean, I was on the football team for a year in high school, but that was, you know, I, I, I watched that, I would say more like college football and stuff, but like I also got injured and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, uh, that was much harder to, to, to play that for sort of different reasons. Um, but basketball, I always played like I played as a kid. Um, like uh, I, I uh, you know, competed in these sort of like uh, these leagues and stuff. Um, so basketball was always something that I loved and, and still do. Like you can, you can ask my players, but you know, we're always talking about like basketball stuff. And I even at some point, uh, you know, showed them like some of some of my, some like old footage from some like rec league that I played in. Cause someone was like recording the games Uh huh. So <laughs> they got a real kick out of that. Um, awesome. stuff like that. So yeah, those, those were the two main things. And beyond that is just reading about, um, Beyond the surface level, reading about not just the the sort of strategy, or whatever of the game, but like the psychology behind it, right? Like how 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 the players prepare, how you deal with different team dynamics, um, and then sort of experiencing some of that too. Like uh, there were people, they're close friends I grew up playing with, and you know, there's like even like I don't want to be too specific, but there's some examples from those interactions that I shared with my players that made sense to them. It's like
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, this guy might have been better than us and he knew it but he he tried to motivate us and lift us in a way that might have caused resentment instead right and like these 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 are types of things that i've like talked about and they resonate with uh with players on some level as well um you know how to get the most out of your teammates and uh, obviously out of yourself as well
0: awesome yeah i uh it's funny you mentioned basketball i uh recently listened to a book by chris bosch um and you know he had sort of like an untimely exit from from professional basketball for health reasons uh but he he wrote a book called i think it's called letters to a young athlete i think that's the title and it's basically just like him writing letters to himself when he was a kid about the things that you're gonna have to go through if you want to make it uh in the league or, or just you know succeed in life and you know there's there's parts like motivational speaking kind of general tropes, but there's also some really cool stuff about him, you know, explaining, dealing with certain situations with him and LeBron and Wade and Ray Allen and like the people that he learned from in the league and that kind of stuff. So I found it super fascinating as a sports fan. Um, and okay that's that's
1: that's on my list i've always been a lebron fan i know i know chris bosh has his reputation for being like a very thoughtful Mm -hmm. like very like right like he he wasn't even like in medical school or something and obviously he had like blood clots and and all that when and he's like kind of this forgotten unsung like super glue guy cog of those heat championship teams so yeah I'll, i'll i'll uh i'll hit you up afterwards i'll look into that that's that's something that i gotta put on a reading list
0: yeah, and and he reads the audiobook himself, so that's I mean, I'm always a big fan of that when the, when the author actually like reads their own work to you. So it's just kind of cool uh to hear his thoughts from him. Um so let's let's get a little bit deeper into where you are now in Dota with you're the manager of Quincy Crew. Um the sort of I guess now there's two unsigned teams at TI, but you guys have sort of been like that one really steady professional dota team that doesn't really have org backing over the last i mean realistically it's been almost like two years at this point because there's been a few different iterations um you guys this current roster minus uh i guess it's for it used to be you, you formed it with sumail and then obviously that didn't work out for whatever reason now you have lelis as your sort of final piece to the puzzle but this roster in general came together back in 2019 in september um and you guys have you signed with chaos at one point and i guess certain iterations were with forward gaming and and so you've kind of run the gauntlet i suppose of a professional dota while navigating a variety of different problems um and still come out on top i mean you guys have been such a steady rock of competition both in na and as well as international Um, so I guess just tell me a little bit about Quincy crew and, and sort of that journey, you don't have to be too specific, but kind of where are you, where are you guys now as a team?
1: Sure. I mean, so the origin goes back a little bit further than that. So the name, um, as well comes from Quincy street, which is where we had our team house, um, at VGJ storm. And that's Mm, when, that's when first came together with, um, SVG and Yawar and Mojo who are obviously still on the team today. And back then it was snaking and, uh, tomato and then initially and because tomato had some like visa difficulties at the time i think he was like getting his citizenship or something so he couldn't come to the boot camp for a bit we ended up uh you know getting somebody else which is rezo um that's right so that's where the name quincy crew came from came from because uh the, the place that we stayed like you know let's just say it wasn't the most luxurious uh place it was okay but it wasn't the most luxurious place and so there's a certain, uh sort of you know, we're in the heart of Brooklyn and there's a certain, uh, you know, sort of ethos and environment and atmosphere that we that that helped us, I think, and that we enjoyed and took some pride in. And so mm-hmm. whenever we were unsponsored as a stack, I just you know, decided, hey, like, what do you guys think about Quincy Crew? And then so we decided to just go with that. Um, and then we considered changing at some points, but I I fought pretty hard to keep it because I was like. You know, I don't want to be, become one of these stacks that just changes their name like every other qualifier. Like right. let's let's you know, I, we weren't thinking too far ahead of the time, but I was like, let, let's stick with this. Like this is us, you know,
0: this is still us. Um some sort of branding so, at the very least, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And I, I just think it's a nice simple name and it just you know just made sense. Mm. Um and it, it gives us a sense of identity. Um so yeah, like we've we've worked with a lot of sort of different orgs and with different dynamics that come in, um, you know, some orgs, uh, the the ownership or, you know, management wants to. It, it becomes like a like a trifecta, a triumvirate, if you will. Right? There's like management, ownership, and the players. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes a difficult relationship to balance at times because, you know, sometimes the ownership wants like a hand in, in certain things, which makes sense. And then, you know, that maybe the players want something different, maybe management feels something different is is better. And so you have to balance these sort of relationships. And we navigated that across different teams with different situations and dynamics. Um, And then um, Avery retired. Um, Mm -hmm. Our team basically imploded in, in, uh, at the, uh, stockholm major in uh, march of 2019 avery retired um and then you know that's when that's when we brought quinn in and then you know we went to the next ti i mean it, it just that's when like this the four uh, people on this team sort of came together um mm-hmm. once avery came back out of retirement right um the following after that yeah so yeah that ended up of cementing itself into into group we had some real ups and downs i mean you know you mentioned like consistency and stuff we also consistently didn't do that well at uh, majors and and big competitions um so that was some consistency that we wanted to get rid of and we we just kind of always felt that there was like a missing piece that it was like kind of hard to uh you know find this like offline player that that fit us like ethos wise and personality wise and you know like sneaking did a lot of really good things and you know, I love that guy um mm. you know I, I hang out with him like you know even even like uh, when there's like breaks in the season and stuff like he's always been my friend um, but uh we we wanted somebody that that fits certain other characteristics and traits and so we went through a couple uh, trial members including saberlight mm-hmm. um, who's now a TI, including DM who's now a TI with VP and then uh you know ultimately we also tried to do a position switch um instead we're like why, why don't we just try to fill that role from within because mojo has experience but none of those things uh sort of worked out that great we had a period of some success with biver but then biver kind of really became uh it was hard for him to sort of keep playing like you know from so far away through like
2: right. the dark
1: period of COVID. um so yeah ultimately like you know all was available he he speaks English because he uh, was was born and grew up a little bit in America. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's like a pretty, pretty good fit. He had some experience before as a captain and he's a skilled player. Um, so, yeah, that's how we sort of got to the configuration that we're at today. And uh, I know that's sort of the bare bones sketch of the journey. But you know, if I were to go into every piece has its own.
0: Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the story really just kind of branches with each individual player and and move and roster update and revision and that kind of stuff. I mean, I'll be honest, like when I was coaching this European team, we changed our roster five different times in like six months. And it's just that's just kind of how it works. Like you're trying to find the right pieces that fit. And you mentioned some really important stuff, just like the general vision of the team is really important and having everybody kind of buy into the same idea. Is that something that you kind of have played a part in developing or is that more of like the players coming up with how they want to think about the game and play? Is that like a SVG specific as the captain? Um, where does where does sort of like team identity come from and, and how did you guys develop that?
1: Um, I, I think it's, I mean, it's mostly the players. It's It's got to start with the captain. So SVG's got a big part in that. And then also Quinn has also played a huge role in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of having like very strong ideas, conviction, and then like trying to get people to kind of execute and be on the same page, like uh, I would say, those two are some of the main driving forces of that. Um, I would say my role in this sort of thing has been, uh, and it, I haven't always been successful with it. You know, I've made plenty of mistakes over the years, but to try to try to help instill, obviously, like to to back up the captain, but also to try to help instill this this ethos. Um, of like, hey, take yourself seriously, like your elite competitors and athletes, like, you know, let's mm. keep trying to build better habits, let's keep trying to make, like, you know, better decisions let's keep trying to, to act, like, act like a responsible team um, you know, let's, let's let's not take things for granted or, or become, you know, spoiled or cocky or anything, let's try to, like embrace some of the, the grindier, harder aspects of stuff, because that's, that's what it takes at the highest levels of competition eventually you have to be able to do that to stand out and excel um so so whether it's that or sort of you know i, I want to I, I want our team to to communicate well i want our team to to be free of even to have a good culture a good team culture those are things that uh i've looked a lot into and sort of tried to you know instill i want our team to be always seeking improvement trying to trying to you know, learn and read more trying to like improve themselves outside the games i think it gives you energy in the game you don't want to just be too focused on too you know tunnel visioned on just one thing um, right. so those are the sorts of things that that i've uh been been focused on for the most part with the team
0: awesome i mean huge respect to that that's something that i initially like drew me to esports is that i saw that that was missing and i was like how how can i bring some of the stuff that i've learned through i mean because i've been playing sports since i was like four i've you know been under a coach at some point in my year every year uh basically all the way through college and i i feel like that's the one thing that's really really truly missing from esports professionals in a lot of cases is that because they don't grow up in that team structure or with like real mentors they just have kind of been almost like stumbled into the spotlight by being super good at a, at a hobby that is now a, a competitive global phenomenon. Um, they missed out developing a very specific set of skills that makes them coachable and good at interacting with other people. So I can understand like how much work it takes to develop that, especially probably in a short amount of time with people that have strong convictions about things and are very good at what they do, where it's like, you know, I'm already this good. Why do I need help getting better? And and that's that's definitely a tough thing to kind of like discuss and, and make people understand. I would imagine.
1: Especially, I mean, you, you mentioned you you mentioned something that was literally in an exact conversation that I've had, you know, with Avery and stuff. Is like, uh, if if in a in a structured. More traditional sport. By the time you get to the, that level, you've been part of teams and you've been coached and you've been you know, you've had to experience all these things. And there's a lot more structure and culture to it. And you know, esports is still off in the wild west. So some of those things are are missing. They're also harder to uh, potentially instill in people. And there's there's so many there's other forces going on too. Like you know, too much too soon is a big thing in traditional sports, right? Because you have some teenager that's suddenly getting all this attention, all this fame, all this, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to, to keep. Their head in the right place and stay focused and you know remember like what got them there and all that um so these are all things that esports uh competitors deal with and um again it's been it's been fascinating it's been stuff i've always been super interested in and uh you know to varying degrees depending on the coach um it, you know we've tried to sort of instill and improve that and again all a lot of the credit like ha- asked to go to the captain mm-hmm. and it starts there. Right. Cause like if he, if he's not about that, um, if he's not about like helping to establish a good culture and, and, and all that, and then, you know, we're, we're, what can you do? Um, I'm not a coach, I'm a manager and I have a unique relationship with a lot of players, you know, a unique amount of like trust and stuff that goes into it. But at the end of the day, the captain has got to be, got to be spot on with it. And, uh, Avery is.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I actually I think the very first thing I ever did in esports um was I I did an article. So I went to TI6 with uh Liquipedia to do some of their like their forum articles covering the event and my first sort of like op-ed piece personal project that I did for them was I think it was titled like the meta of the coach or something like that. And I got, I interviewed specifically coaches at TI and, and SVG was one of the ones that I interviewed. And I just remember our conversation um, being really like, I I clearly understood that this, this guy gets it more than most people. And, and like, I think I interviewed him and Seb and a couple other people, but I just very specifically remember him and, and Seb in particular being the two people that were like, I was like, oh, they understand this more from the perspective of like a true leader outside of whatever gaming context we're in and sort of like understanding how to actually develop talent and get people to buy in um, to your ideas. And um, that that level of communication is is really what makes a team good beyond anything else is like having people who actually communicate and understand each other working together towards a common goal.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's hard. It's imperfect. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, it's never like you, you you might always say afterwards if you won or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's never perfect. And so it's always a never ending struggle.
2: Uh,
1: um, but you know, as, as like, as a leader, you, if you, you you can't shy away from it. Right. So you have to enjoy it and, and, uh, or, you know, be interested in and try to try to make it better and be willing to fight the, the battles all the time. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's very valuable and you're seeing now, I think more than ever, there's like, especially at TI, there's so much pressure and so much, so much stakes. And I think that's where things like this mental toughness and team cultures, that's that's where that stuff really does a lot of work because Mm -hmm. you need people to be able to look to each other, back each other up when, when the pressure and stakes are the highest, you don't, you can't have people who, you know, if you struggle and, and you will get hit in the face at TI, um, you start pointing fingers or you start looking inwards, whatever you, so that stuff, I think to, to me is like super important. And uh, yeah, it starts, it starts with people in positions of authority and leadership on the team to different degrees, but I think the responsibility has to be accepted to, to, to try and get people to that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of wanted to return to a point you mentioned earlier, just in regards to this topic, which is you were saying that this team has sort of um, historically struggled a bit at lands um do you think that that is like a is that just a mixture of inexperience or do you where do you think that that kind of stems from because it is a bit of a pattern but i also know that your team is capable of like really incredible dota like they're extremely skilled and you seem to also be able to show plenty of flashes of brilliance so like where where is that line where it just like seems to be dominance up until the point where it's like that one moment that could push you into the upper echelon where it just seems to fall short. I mean, a lot of times it feels
1: like we're one game away, right? There is mm-hmm. a there is some inconsistency. I think, yeah, their inexperience is a part of it. I think also if you look um if you look at TI, like we've made upper bracket the last two TIs, which means that you're, you know, we even won our group at TI eight, right? So you so you're at minimum like, you have the skill to, like, be a pretty good team.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, then, But then it all has to come together under the highest pressure. I think that's something we need to get better at. Um, I mean, the other stuff, like, the majors and stuff, um, I mean, over the years, it's... it's There are some things that, like, do matter here and there. Like, for one, um, you know, every single major is in Europe or Asia. Right. Um, and, and what that usually means is you know, you go there and you have to play pretty meaningful games fairly quickly when you're still like pretty tired and jet lagged because nobody really boot camps that much for majors. Right. Mm. Um, So I don't think it's always a huge thing because there are teams that do well in spite of that, but I think it it doesn't help. And if you're coming down to these, you know, series where you're like one game away or half a game away or whatever, like that stuff could easily make some amount of difference. Like even five, 10% difference is pretty big. Mm. Um, So I think that, that, kind of maybe helps explain why we've done better compared to the field at TI, where you have all this time to adjust and prepare and you're playing a very wide field of teams, right? right. Um, so that proves that like, yeah, again, like we have the skill and the ability to be there, I think, but it all has to come together. We have to be consistent. We have to uh, be able to f- to fall back on each other when, when you know, are problems or when we lose. Um, learning how to, something that's been said, but like learning how to handle losses, learning how to compartmentalize, learning how to move on. Um these are all things that we can get better at. And uh it's all you know, some some people in the scene like they had to lose for five or ten years before they experienced their first major success, right? And it's hard, it's always hard to think about this sort of long-term thing when you have so many question marks about the scene. Um but you know, like they they took their lumps and and they stuck with it and they took lessons from it and they improved and you know, now some of them are, are a lot more successful if they've, they've been in the mix long enough to know. So yeah, there's elements of, uh, of all of that. And then otherwise, I think you, you do start to see some regional differences over time in terms of what teams do well in certain regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like we, we don't get this, we don't have the same sort of constant scrim practice on certain things that maybe a china does or maybe a europe so so those things can matter like it can matter based on you know at least partly based on the patch based on hero pools those are sort of just unknown variables that can always play factor so it's yeah. a it's a very complicated mix of things uh, that determines and then finally just the, just the mental state of, of, of the team um is everybody healthy is everybody on the same page are people you know like, is everyone like ready to go? Are people thinking about or worry about are people distracted or worry about other things? It's it's all a bunch of moving pieces that have to be figured out.
0: Well, Jack, you're doing my job for me because you're transitioning me to the next topic that I want to talk about, which is sort of the the business side of of being a team. And as an unsponsored team, I would imagine that there is a little bit of maybe extra pressure because you don't have sort of like a maybe a stable backbone all the time where it's like, if you lose, I mean, that's your income, right? Like you get your tournament winnings and then that's essentially it. Um, How, how is that sort of like colored the, um, the team in terms of like their mood and the way that they interact with the game at all. Um, And, and I guess like, what, what is it like to be an unsponsored team in professional Dota? I, I would imagine it's, it's quite the ride.
1: Um, it's, it's hard. Uh, it's hard because there's no, there's no security, right? There's Mm -hmm. no, and then like you, it's all in on like TI basically. Um, and yeah, it's hard. It's hard. The other aspect of it is, you know, we, North America has the smallest fan base. Um, and most of them I would say are probably EG fans. Mm -hmm. Um, so people tune this out to varying degrees and they pay attention to the various degrees, but, you know, you go out there and everyone just thinks that you suck. Everyone's like hoping that you lose or they take an aim at you uh, for stuff that, you know, sometimes is just downright hypocritical. Like they're talking about how unstable like NA is, but there's these other regions that the top team shuffle people yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, or, you know, like their team doesn't make it and they start taking aim at you and why you don't deserve it. that stuff you know that stuff gets to people and you don't have this the same sort of support you don't you don't have this sort of yeah like you said like backing um and you and everyone thinks that you're bad and so you know you can you can develop a chip on your shoulder and stuff uh it it should to some extent be able to help build character and help people to like focus on what they're doing this for right you're doing this to be the best and you're doing this for ti like it's just pure and simple now You're, you're at the purest level of a dota team you're a team of five players um you know trying to trying to be the best trying to beat people you have to prove yourself every time because you know that those stakes are there and you know that you're not going to have this fallback if you don't prove yourself mm-hmm. um so it's it's both i mean in some ways it's a blessing in disguise and it just you know it has to put a fire under people like you either you either step away and you quit or like you go all in with this right
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but yeah it is it is definitely tough at times just because you don't have support for things uh you're not you're not boot camping when other people boot camping you're not together as a team like developing and playing stuff and you know developing like synergy and stuff and, and things that you can do in person um, your your travel and other issues are more exacerbated without someone to back it up um, you know you're not you're not being paid for
2: right
1: like you have to win a tournament to get a, to win every tournament every month to have a livable wage uh, in this game and then so you're constantly thinking should I is it worth it? Should I keep playing this? What's going to happen in the future? Do I take this offer from somebody else? That seems pretty good. That's happened multiple times to our guys. You know, did I make the right decision? Like if you lose, did I make the right decision? Like, should I be like, you know, these these are all sort of sources of doubt and uncertainty that can creep in. And I think on the one end, too much comfort and, you know, can breed indifference and complacency. That's not good. Sure. But on the other hand, if you're just you know, sort of in the wilderness and you're like, "Hey, you know, we're like, we might be the best team in the Western Hemisphere, or, and certainly one of the best best teams in the Western Hemisphere," and you're telling me this is not worth something anymore to like anybody or almost anything, mm-hmm. um, you know, like that's that's pretty deflating, right? So it's tough.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, it's a whole other layer of pressure. It's like every game actually is for money whereas most people i mean and realistically that is how it always is but i would imagine that it's just kind of like there is that extra thing in the back of everybody's mind where you know if you don't win you don't eat not necessarily i'm sure that all of you guys you guys have probably uh won enough and i'm sure that most of them probably have decent family structures and stuff like that Where it's not like they're literally homeless if they don't win but the dream significantly suffers if you if you don't have success, and so that um it's actually pretty remarkable that they have handled that and then, like you said, having to go to other countries most of the time to play, and like the scrim partners are maybe fewer and farther between in terms of skill it it's actually incredibly impressive that <laughs> you guys have come as far as you have in in a fairly short period of time um and and speaking of the the sort of like the backbone or the backing of a team you came out fairly recently and announced that quincy crew is going to ti as quincy crew you're not you're not in search of an org which i mean that was a thing a couple of years ago and and for the, the vast majority of dota a team qualifies for a ti they get picked up by an org that wants exposure um and it I'm sure it gives the team a boot camp and and maybe some extra you know travel arrangements and that kind of stuff, but realistically, valve invites the players they invite like the team outside of the org, and so it is really about the players, so that's kind of a an interesting decision and and kind of an admirable one in my opinion uh just because it really isn't about the org at the end of the day when it comes to t i yeah
1: um I do want to clear up what that means um you know, we have a we signed a merch deal that should be announced pretty soon. Like we are in talks with like different sort of sponsors. It's just we're not gonna go just be part of somebody else's org and just right. be their mercenary for TI. Um so um yeah, it, it it's it uh we came too far just as Quincy crew and it uh you know when we talked after the major and stuff like there's a meeting and and uh or as individual discussions and like the name, you know, it means something to us. Like again, at some point during those really like much darker times, that's all we had. We just had the name and we just have the stack. Right. So right. there's there's an emotional component to it um, of like difficulty of buy-in of, of, of sacrifice of uh, our shared hardship that uh, has some value there. And so we, we weren't, we, you know, we'd be willing to, to have, left some pretty intriguing or interesting offers on the table, which we did because that was just, that was just kind of a non-starter. And yeah, we decided to do that as a group. And um, it has been interesting, I guess, from a business point of view because TI is valuable and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is, there is still a decent amount of sponsorship interest. There was two years ago uh, when we went to end up going to newbie and there is, there is now, it's not the same thing, but you know, of course TI is valuable. Um, So, Mm it's it's been interesting to sort of navigate that it's taken a, a good amount of time and stuff as well but you know it's it's nice to to kind of feel also a sense of like validation you know finally like like for the for the, for the time that the team has put in and uh, you know just just like to reward people for uh, at least on some level for like their efforts and their time um
0: yeah, yeah I I've, I've, I've seen those uh those sick jackets that you have. Those are those are legit. I like the uh the ones that you wore at the the major. Those are uh, kind of reminiscent of like the uh the Chinese team jacket which is um just very it gives it like a little bit of extra professionalism which is something that you said you definitely value um in terms of the team. Um does most of that business sort of like negotiating with sponsors is that like your realm and you just let the players play and and you sort of handle all of that all of those talks and then maybe bring them sort Of what the options are, uh, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I handle that. Um, we do have people helping us out with like, um, shout out to, to, to them, uh, who help us out with like some social media. And, um, you know, like we released a video today that was like a recap, uh, slappy bag. Uh, mm-hmm made that video for a slappy bag nine check them out on youtube and uh, so we have, do have some very talented and sort of you know passion project people helping us out and like you know making logo and helping make assets stuff like that um so yeah it's not it's not just me but for the for the decisions i guess the, the negotiations and stuff is, is me and then beyond that like like i've explained to you you know i, I would say in some ways an amateur sports psychologist on some fronts and then
2: mm-hmm.
1: also uh, a big brother, I would say. A big brother. Um when, when when it's needed or when it's justified.
0: That's awesome, man. Uh I, I'm like uh I don't know. Consider me a new Quincy Cruz stan. I, I feel like having this extra context is is so good for me looking at TI coming up. Um and I just I don't know, I just respect the whole the whole game of playing the game and, and making it this far. Uh tell me a little bit about just like briefly your thoughts on the DPC circuit, because I know this has been a fairly debated and controversial change to the game. Um, And probably for you guys, maybe not a positive one just because it's a very locked in schedule and something that kind of rewards orgs more so because you can like say, Hey, we're going to, you know, play X amount of hours on stream. So here's the, the data for our sponsorship deals and that kind of stuff. Um, how how's the DPC circuit been for for Quinta Crew?
1: Um, some things about it were better than I thought. Um, I think that just the, the consistency and the structure how it's helped out tos and talent. I think that's good. It's added some layers of stability to things that were extremely volatile. I think that's a plus. Um, I think from a team point of view, one of the main things is we just we just don't get to play that much. Mm-hmm. Like, like knowing that you're guaranteed to play EG twice a year. I, I don't know if that's like a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. like I think like, I feel like it could be better in terms of like viewership and stuff. Um, right. I think that's, that's one of the main things that I still think could be improved. Although you don't want to overdo it. Obviously you don't want to play too much because it devalues the games and it tires people out. Of course. But I think two is like too little. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I came out with a series of complaints when it was first released because I, you know, I thought about it together with SVG, and there's some things that we we're really concerned about. Some of them have proven, thankfully, like untrue or myopic, perhaps. Um, the other thing I think is the, the format for the majors is just—it's—it's just, it's, it's just got to be better. I yeah. think. I think there's just.
0: I don't understand. There's no good reason why you can't
1: why you can't have. Well, no, no, it's fine to, it might be okay to have 10 of 18 teams go home empty handed, but you have to have a consistent format. I think you just need Mm -hmm. to have people play as many different teams as possible. Um, My suggestion for format would be, again, just have as much round robin out of big groups as possible. You can even shorten the main tournament potentially to like single elim or something if you have to save on like, time or resources, because the main thing is the teams playing each other to see who's good on an international level for TI, right?
0: Right. The so intermixing of the regions. Where,
1: yeah, you can even have this thing where you're playing, um, sort of round robin, and you're giving teams points per win. Mm-hmm. You know, like some DPC points per win, and then you have a single elim tournament, whatever, to finish it off. Like that's fine because the tournament itself, the way it's structured now, it's not it's it's worth very little compared to TI. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's not necessarily about the finish of the tournament, who wins. It's about how good are teams compared to other teams in the national field. And that's what the, the, the tournament should be structured towards. If that's what it is, if it's just a global land TI qualifier, then address it accordingly. Either that, or you go back to, you know, old formats where you have like a major that's actually worth like a lot of money and stands alone as own tournament that teams can focus on. I mean, I think most people would prefer that, but it's, it's hard to do. And it right. takes it takes a lot. Um, so, yeah, if if it's if we're going to continue to be in this direction where TI grows more and more becomes disproportionately larger part of the scene, then you know have the major formats be more consistent and and have less variance and be more reliable.
0: Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because right now, like technically you could just go up against a region that has a totally different take on the meta that counters yours twice and then you're done and you don't really get to actually show that you were good against, you know, CIS and China and SEA. But you just, I don't know, lost to North America twice or you just lost to South America or whatever. Um, And that's like you said, it is very high variance considering how important it is to actually like determining what the scene looks like i mean we really i think this is probably the first year in the last maybe three years or so where i really don't feel super confident that the best all the best teams are at ti and that's kind of a weird feeling going into it it's almost like back to like ti2 or ti3 where everything was invites kind of like based by valve and ephemeral eye test that they did
1: well i mean there is an element of ti where it's not just the best teams it's also every region is like represented by the best teams in their region right so there is some element of that which i do think that the system did like do well to make the legion the the the, it did do well to make the region uh matter because Mm -hmm. in the past you had qualifiers that happened over the course of a week and you know any team can get hot or do well and then you had remember those tiebreakers for DPC seating that nobody took seriously, right? Or, True. or we we tried to take it seriously, but not everybody did. Um, so making the regions matter, making the sort of leagues and stuff matter—that's good.
0: And yeah, I, I, I think that's
1: a step in the right direction. Um, I think for the for the thing about whether teams are good enough or not, yeah, I just think you just need a better major format for sorting teams. Like mm-hmm. you you should let people play as much of the field as possible, and. That way, like, there's benefit for everybody too. Because if you're a good team, you can survive the variance and prove that you're still the best. If you're a bad team or an experienced team, you get valuable experience on land against, you know, these other. So, again, people always talk about um, the animator major because I think a lot of that is just people didn't like the outcomes that that, that happened. And, mm. the, and to be honest, there's very teams. But if you look, if you look at Singapore, um, you have this fanatic team. They won their region, right? A pretty difficult stacked region they go to the major and they play five games. Mm-hmm. They played, they played EG and they played another team from their region, which is always like kind of wonky or weird. Right. And then, and then both teams finished top six and Fnatic lost to both of them and they're just out. Right. So how confident are you at Fnatic's relative standing in the field of 18 teams?
0: Not very I, that's a, <laughs> not, not very confident. Yeah. yeah they, like,
1: right. So like they could have been a top eight team and yeah. you, or whatever, and you just and you just wouldn't know because you know they got these two series and that was it. Contrast that with LGD. LGD went to that tournament. They played thirty-five games. I think they played actually every single team except like Fnatic or something. It's like the it's actually incredible because it started from wild card. They played everybody except one team in the entire field, and they won. They played thirty-five games and won like two-thirds, like twenty-three of them. So you have an extremely high degree of confidence that lgd is like a damn good team like they're like one of the better teams in the world because they played so many teams and they beat so many of them right and so that to me should increase in value of like how sure you you are that this team like belongs at ti or should be at ti because they just prove to you that they're better than most of the world right yep. um so these these kind of examples of variants and stuff, i think they just need to be controlled for and it's it's not it's not hard the format. the the TI format is good for a reason. It exists for a reason. It's good. Mm -hmm. Uh, You play a wide range of games against a large field. And I think an upper bracket team has one TI every single year that it's happened. So, you know, like, yeah, that team was better than a lot of teams and they ended up being the best. Like it seems consistent. It seems fair. It makes sense. So I would just love to see something in that direction for, for the majors. And I said it, I've been saying it for years. I've actually cried about formats and and all that for years, and the need for more round robin for years and years. I've said it, and I still continue to believe. I said it when the DPC came out. I didn't wait for the results this year either. I tweeted it in January. You know, like you can see it. I also pointed out back then how some of these things might not be good for some other regions, including Europe. You know, wh- where was the outcry and support then? There's not. We, we got a we got a no tail tweet telling us that our region was a joke. That's that was the only public response I saw to. It um right so yeah i think that's as far as improving dpc i think that's the main thing that can be better
0: cool all right well um i mean as you head into ti are you guys doing anything in particular to to prep for the big event um obviously you're in ukraine you said the guys are still at home i assume you'll be coming together at some point uh as we get closer to the actual event and doing a bit of a, a boot camp or something like that in europe uh, but are you are you doing anything in particular? I mean, now that you guys have been to TI a couple of times, you know, in, in varying degrees of this roster, everybody has some experience playing the event and and what it means. Uh, so, is there anything you're you're trying to like change without giving away the secret sauce to to maybe get over that next hurdle and, and really challenge for the title?
1: Uh, nothing nothing outlandish. I mean, we're, we're going early to, to boot camp. In uh, looks like we're do it in Romania, so. Mm-hmm we just yeah we just go there a couple weeks early get adjusted who can practice like you know put put to and then yeah just we do our best and you know we expect to be able to do pretty well um so yeah
0: awesome all right well uh b- before i i let you go and and thank you so much for for being here for this hour long conversation so far uh, i kind of want to just get your your general thoughts on sort of like the the future of dota esports and and maybe drawing a little bit from your your love of traditional sports um what what things could be done or or would you like to see come into esports to uh, to maybe elevate the um just the general like level of competition or the the industry and how it's run that kind of stuff like where do you see esports going and where would you like to see it going
1: uh, I mean, esports in general is, it's, it's an inevitability just because it's as simple as, you know, my, my generation and before my generation, especially people grew up, you go outside with your friends and you're, you're playing sports, right? Mm-hmm. So you grow up, you play it, you watch it, like you become fans, you become invested in it. But then starting with, I would say my generation and maybe a little bit before and certainly after you grow up playing games with your friends mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so naturally some of these games are really well made, like Dota 2, which I still consider the best game ever made. And so you have competitive scenes that come from the games that enable it, and you foster them, and they become a part of this uh, esports conglomerate. So I think it's there's a certain inevitability to that. It's just what people do, what people are attached to, what they find fun, and it's, it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, so esports in general, I mean, yeah, it'll continue to grow. A lot of issues and problems are unique to it and have to be sorted out. Um, and have to be, you know, have to continue to become better and more sort of stable and and, and sort of uh, professional and, and, you know, all the inefficiencies and problems have to be solved. Um, Dota is pretty unique. Dota is the way Dota has been handled. It's really more like tennis, golf or prize fighting, if you think about it. And, <laughs> totally. You know, like that comes with sort of unique features. Um, some are good, some... You know, like maybe less so. Uh, just the level of the volatility and and inst- instability and sort of unpredictability that that that's been inherent to that, uh, you know, has been has been problematic in its own ways. But it's been very rewarding to the people who've been the absolute best. and Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. So, I I think for Dota, I maybe there is, and I just don't know about it. But I would, if I were to wish for something, I would wish for. A consistently executed sort of long term plan and vision. You know, I would wish for like people to say, this is what we what we aim to do in in this number of years. This is how we're gonna get there. And that will inspire confidence in in players and stuff about growth and opportunities. That will inspire confidence in sponsors and people looking to enter the space and say, Oh, okay, you have a you have a direction for this. Instead, it often just feels like it's like, Look, you got some smart people and you come up with a good idea, and then people are like, Yeah, that sounds great, let's do it. And then it just it just feels like this is closer to the actual process. Mm-hmm. Um again, I could be totally wrong, but that just seems to me like that, that that's how it is. And um that like if you find out two weeks before the season starts, like what the season's gonna be and how it's gonna look, um and you know, and the bot like if you find those things out, uh that's not that's not good for a sense of growth and consistency and and sponsors and whatever. It's, it's you know, it's just way too like wild and random. So I think that was that would be the one thing that that I would hope for. And of course you can't plan for everything, you know, you don't know how the which ways the wind shift and stuff, but I think for a game as good and as enduring as Dota, I think you can't. If you look at, I used to play a lot of Age of Empires too. When mm-hmm. I was a kid. Uh, they went through some dark times too, but look at DE is basically just a remastered version of it with some new stuff. It it grew well. and it thrived. Yeah. yeah, this this game is twenty five years old at this point. Um, these 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 games, these computer games, these well made ones, like they have enduring value. Um, you know, like that you can. You can make an ecosystem that's that's good if you treat if you want to treat people in the ecosystem as like sort of invested you know partners or people who are there for the long haul. You can you can make a good ecosystem uh, off of that. So I, that's that's what I hope for. Um, I love this game. I would I don't think I would go into like another game. I mm-hmm. I would just wouldn't I just wouldn't have the I wouldn't care about it. I wouldn't really have any sort of the passion or enthusiasm for it. And so I'd quickly be like, I'm just here, you know, because I'm here, not because I I love it or I want to be there. So yeah, I I want Dota to do well, um, and I hope it has the the framework to to continue to to do better.
0: Yeah, man, that's that's such an interesting and and good point to make. Like, I mean, re- realistically, people have been playing baseball for over 100 years people have been playing basketball for i don't know what like 60 years something like that these sports they they probably started out fairly similar like the premier league the biggest the biggest uh global league realistically it was like a club league it started out as just people getting together forming clubs playing playing football or soccer for us americans and now look at it so i i completely agree it's, it's really just and and somebody who i mean i i created content in dota primarily for five years basically and every single couple of months i'd be like How much longer are people going to watch Dota videos, you know, because we don't know whether the game's going to be good or or whether people are going to be interested in it because there's just no structure. It is very random and kind of like fly by the seat of the pants, and it makes it almost like more mentally taxing to be involved than any other (laughs) game that's out there. But but you are right, like, you know, chess. How long has chess been around? People still play that because it's a well-made, well-organized game. So why can't that happen with a computer game? I think it it probably just takes a little bit of a paradigm shift where people are, they look at games as a commodity more so than like a system still because they have been a commodity. Developer makes game, releases it on a disc. People buy disc, play game for a year and then buy the next one or whatever. And And we are kind of in this new age of like continual patching and just really... I mean, we switched from Source 1 to Source 2 in, in, in Dota 2. So it basically became an entirely new game with new engine and everything running it. So who's to say Dota 2 can't just go to Source 3? It doesn't have to become Dota 3. It can still just be Dota 2, but with better graphics and an engine running it. There's nothing really stopping that from ever happening. So I agree, man. Um I think that's basically all I have for you. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just, I really appreciate you spending your time and giving me some insight into kind of what it's like to manage a team. It's sort of like the reason that I wanted to make this podcast is just to have conversations with people that are involved in the space and esports and sports. And I I hope to have sports psychologists on this show at some point, because that's fascinating to me. I just want to learn from people that are doing cool stuff. Um, And so I appreciate you blessing me and the, and the listeners and viewers with some knowledge. About what it's like to, to be involved in esports is there anything that you want to shout out or anything any final topics you want to throw out there before i let you go
1: um i mean first shout out to the people that that have that have helped us these last few months um you know like like we've been able to to give back some things but you know a lot of it is just is just out of passion and out of fandom so you know we're very thankful for that we, we wouldn't be even even where we are today um, in the situation that we're in, uh, in some ways without like their, their support and their assistance, like, we, we wouldn't have a logo if not, you know, for, for Gabriel. So uh, th- first shout out to them, thank them. And then, you know, thanks to to the people who, who support us again. I, I, uh, I've always been a sucker for sort of, you know, social media to some extent and Reddit and stuff. I see people out there, you know, with the, with the flares and like, defending the stuff is it's nice. It's, it, it, you know, each, everyone counts. So thank you. And uh, thank you for doing this podcast. Very, very thoughtful and very you know, well-organized. It's, it's been fun. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to make everybody proud at uh, TI. We're going we're gonna to do our best. Um, and again, I think we can do pretty well. So go ahead, keep, keep predicting that, you know, we're going to be the go for it. Like we, let's get in line. There's nothing we haven't heard already. So you know it, does, it doesn't matter it it, it doesn't matter we <laughs> we're, we're going to do us and yeah we're going we're going to prove people wrong
0: all right yeah talk your shit jack that's awesome i i appreciate it thanks again for joining me um and best of luck at ti i'm i'm really excited to see how you guys do and um yeah if there's anything I'll send you some book recommendations and stuff once we're done with the conversation. So yes, yes,
1: please do. Please do. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Perfect. All right. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for
2: watching.